0: Olympic and world champion diver Laura Wilkinson and this is the pursuit of gold podcast each week we are unlocking the physical mental emotional and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports I'm very proud to announce our new sponsor katsu global I absolutely love their products and I'm so thankful for their support of this podcast and I will tell you a little bit more about katsu later on in this episode Today's guest is a record breaker, trailblazer, and history maker. Natalie Coughlin has won 12 Olympic medals, 20 world championship medals. She was the first U.S. woman to win six medals at a single Olympic Games, and she was the first woman to win back-to-back Olympic gold medals in the same event in consecutive Olympics. And if that's not enough, Natalie was also the first woman ever to swim the 100-meter backstroke in less than one minute. She won 11 of 12 possible individual NCAA titles and was named NCAA Swimmer of the Year three years in a row. She has won a total of 60 medals in major international competition, 25 gold, 22 silver and 13 bronze spanning the Olympics, the World Championships, the Pan Pacific Championships and the Pan American Games. I mean, that is exhausting just listing some of her amazing stats and as impressive as her achievements are, Natalie is also just a really cool down to earth person that is so fun to talk to. We jump right into how it all began with her fierce competitiveness. We got into her mindset and discussed an injury that changed her entire perspective of swimming. Before we get into this fun episode, though, I want to remind you of the confidence journal that I created that can help you to keep your head in the game and get you ready for your toughest competition. It's specifically designed to be quick and effective so that you can begin to take charge of your mindset. You'll start your days off positive and focused, and you'll end each day discovering lessons and building blocks to continue growing your confidence. You can order your copy of the Confidence Journal at laurawilkinson.com journal. Make sure you smash that subscribe button and give us a five-star review if you are enjoying the Pursuit of Gold podcast. And please tell your friends about this podcast, share it on social media, share it with everyone. Word of mouth is the fastest and best way that we can grow to that next level. All right. I believe that there's gold in your future. So let's dive on into this episode. Natalie Coglin, welcome to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. I am so excited to have you on. Uh, thanks for having me, Laura. I'm excited to be here. I know. It's been a while since we have caught up. We kind of, uh, for those listening, we got to know each other a little bit, kind of, I guess, before the 2008 Olympics. We did some things off and on together through there, hung out at the Beijing pool a little bit. And, um, you know, we kind of touched base here and there. Um, and it's been cool to watch you go from this amazing swimmer to mom to, you know, entrepreneur doing all these cool things. But I would love it if you could take us kind of back to the beginning. Like, were you a water baby? Like, as soon as you came out of the womb, or did you try other sports? Like, what was the beginning like for you?
1: Yeah, I was. I was definitely more of a water baby. Um, so I grew up in Vallejo, California, which is Northern California um, in the Bay Area, and we had a pool in my backyard. So my parents got me in the water at a really, really young age. You know, like the water babies uh, type thing. You know that every parent really needs to do yes. um, for the safety of their children. <laughs> um, it's very, very important whether they you want them to be a swimmer or not. You have to get your kids in the water early. And so they were just being responsible parents. And so I did swim lessons and then I did gymnastics at a really young age. Oh, I didn't Um, know
0: that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, But I wasn't very coordinated on land. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so swimming kind of chose me. I was much better in the water. And so when I moved at age six, I moved from Baleo to Benicia, just the neighboring town but, um, the neighborhood that we moved into there were there were no kids my age, so my parents uh had me join the local swim team as a way to meet other kids, and I had been doing it ever since, so from six years old on is really when I started but even though I was quite the water baby, I really wasn't that good at swimming right away um
0: That's hard to believe
1: <laughs> I know, but that's a big caveat. I was really competitive, so I don't ever remember a time not being competitive. I'm a, and I'm sure you probably have a similar experience. Um, I think <laughs> us Olympians are all like wired a little bit differently. I um, think so. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like just at a really young age, I was super competitive. So I worked really hard and got good, but I, I wasn't like a natural talent or anything.
0: So what do you I mean I know you say you were competitive like is that what you think kind of drove you like were you like a really hard worker because you wanted to win these races or like what do you think kind of spurred you on if you weren't that great at the beginning like what kind of pushed you into that competitive realm
1: Yeah it, it, this is this is me you know like looking retrospectively of of my life and I like look back at these like little memories that stick out and like Some of them are, you know, in the pool, I wasn't necessarily great at first, but I would look at the people in the lanes next to me and always want to beat them. And I would just listen to my coach and figure out how, how I was going to beat them. When we did soccer at school, like during PE or during recess and lunch, all the kids in my class, they were in soccer and they were just, they were so much better than me. So I remember going home and practicing with a soccer ball against the wall in the backyard, just so I could get better. And so, and no one was coaching me. I was doing this by myself. It's just like little things like that. Like I was constantly, um, I was frustrated if I wasn't good at something right away. So I would go home and work really hard at it so that I would be good at it. And so I just have like memories like that growing up where it's like, all right, I'm going to figure this out so that I can beat them next time.
0: <laughs> and so, so it's not even just competitive. It's I am going to be the best one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know, like almost unhealthy, like honestly, um, like borderline unhealthy. But it served me well uh, for the most part. But yeah, like I always found a way to channel that competitiveness into focus and hard work.
0: So when did your success really start coming? Was it in high school? Was it, I mean, because by college, you were like dominating. So I guess when was kind of the tipping point from like being pretty good and and working really hard to like breaking onto the scene?
1: Yeah, so I was was pretty good as an age grouper. So, you know, it's kind of like big fish in a little pond. Um, So I was in this region of Northern California that had some good swimmers, but like, all the really, really good ones were in another region at the time. So I was good for the pool, um, pardon my pun, of swimmers <laughs> that I was in. And then I moved, I switched teams and kind of moved to a different area. And at 13 was when I just kind of exploded onto the scene. I went from, like, good age grouper to getting junior national times and national times. And then I actually finaled at nationals when I was 13 with a little footnote that coinc you know that that nationals coincided with the 96 olympics so the olympic team wasn't there but everyone else was at that nationals. so i i think qualified seventh or eighth um i was in lane one and the 200 free and i like will never forget like walking out onto the pool deck in fort lauderdale F- florida and they're like in, in lane one natalie Coglin, 13 year old natalie Coglin." And and then I choked because it was the first (laughs) time I was on like the major stage.
0: See, I I hate to tell you that, but it's kind of refreshing to hear that someone of your stature with all you've accomplished now, like finally made the finals and then you choked like that's still, you know, that is still a learning curve. Like not every master, you know, is a master at the beginning. We're all beginners at the beginning.
1: (laughs) Yeah, totally. I mean, 13 have no idea what I'm doing. You know, I didn't have much race experience against like, you know, seasoned racers. Um, I had age group
0: experience, and so you make age group mistakes. Mistake. <laughs>
1: right, <laughs> that's well <So>, put. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, yeah. So, kind of coming into like when you're going to go to college. Did you have a shot at the 2000 games? I did, and and I
1: was not a favorite per se, but I I had one nationals in the tuner back in ninety ninety eight and then i also got second in the tunod i am in 98 so i was on the top national team i made um, pan packs in 99 so we were choosing the 99 pan pack team based on 1998 summer nationals which the 99 Panpaks were at the Sydney um, Olympic site. Ooh, um, inspiring. <laughs> very inspiring. And so um, at the time, I had the American record and the Hunter Back short course, you know, not the Olympic format. So in the 25 yard format, um, I was American record holder in the 100 Back. And so things were really, you know, going along the path that I kind of set out with my goals, my goal planning. And then sometime early 1999, I started getting some shoulder pain and some tendinitis. And then after one particularly hard, um, practice where, um, and this was kind of routine where my shoulders would just go numb and I would just, you know, push through the pain because you didn't really feel what's going on. Um, so after one particularly tough workout, I woke up in the middle of the night after, you know, going to sleep and I was in the most pain I had experienced ever to that point. Um, and I couldn't lift my arm the next morning. And, you know, after months of trying to like figure out what was going on, a doctor, you know, finally told me, Hey, you tore your labrum. So I had to deal with that, you know, most of 99 and the lead up into two, until 2000. And so my training really suffered emotionally. I really suffered. It was a really, really tough thing. And so I got to the 2000 Olympic trials and that by that time I was just a shell of like what I was before. I had an awful relationship with my coach and physically I wasn't as strong as I was. Emotionally, I wasn't as strong. I hated swimming. Um, well, and
0: how old are you? Like 17? 16. 16? Yeah.
1: Yeah. 17. Yeah. Probably 17.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh. Um. So it was so tough on all these different fronts, you know, imagine a hormonal 17 <laughs> year old with all the pressure in the world on her. And, um, and then in this situation, so By the time I got to 2000 trials, I was just over it. You know, I was just like, let's just get this over with. Hopefully I make the Olympic team. But if I don't, that's great because I'm going to go to college. Um, So that's not exactly the mentality you need (laughs) to make the Olympic team. Uh,
0: Mental note.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. For all you aspiring swimmers out there. Yeah, so I ended up uh, getting fourth in the 200 I am. And um, we need to get top two. So I actually raced pretty well at that. I was just how long were you back in the water after all of that? I mean, you probably didn't I have never got training. out of the water. I thought you didn't have surgery. No, I was supposed oh. to. Yeah, so I was supposed to get surgery in 1999.
0: I thought that's what you were alluding to. Okay, wow.
1: No, yeah, so I never had surgery on my labrum and. And in all honesty, I think that was the right choice um, given my age and like what a labral surgery is. It would have tightened up my shoulders so much, um, and 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 I was really fortunate. So I ended up going, even though I was injured. I still went to the 99 Pan Packs in uh, Sydney. And, uh, at that meet I did all right, not great again, cause my fitness level wasn't there just cause I wasn't physically capable of training the way I needed to train. But I got in touch with all these, uh, coaches who really, you know, put me under their wing. And one of them was Richard quick, who was the national team coach. Um, he was going to be the Olympic coach of the 2000, um, Sydney team, he was the Stanford coach, uh, at the time. So I'm sure he wanted me to go to, I mean, I know he wanted me to go to Stanford. (laughs) So he gave me a lot of (laughs) attention. So he actually put me in touch with this physical therapist who, who really set me on, on the right track and kind of changed my life. Um, like I had surgery scheduled for August of 99 and he's like, you really shouldn't do that for." all the reasons I said before, like tightening your shoulder and, and you're so young. And, and I think you could do this with rehab. And so it was a long, slow process, but with that physical therapist, I was able to change my posture, kind of change how I moved in the water and eventually, um, the inflammation from the injury went down. And then, so it's like that labral tear didn't exist kind oh, of wow. as, as, as long as I, as long as I kept the inflammation down, my shoulders were fine. But as soon as they got inflamed, it's, it kind of snowballs into it, it, You know, it's, it, it, it's that one step forward, five steps back type thing. Um, so you just had to keep the, inflammation down and kind of change my movement pattern in the water. And that was something that I worked on all throughout my career, you know, refining my technique to maximize my power and speed in the water, but also protect my body.
0: That's so smart, and I think also just a great reminder that like it's great to get more than one opinion on your injury and what might be the best route. Um, it's always always good to pursue multiple options. I made a really bad move um, getting a wrist surgery just just talking to one doctor, and he totally botched the surgery. And I I you know regret it to this day. I wish I'd had multiple opinions and thoughts on it. Because I, I had to have somebody go back in and fix everything, and it's it's you know beyond complete repair now. But um, you know. That's that was, that was a choice I made and learned the hard way. So I think that's really cool to hear your story and that you guys found another way. And that's really cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I did end up having shoulder surgery on, on my other shoulder, <laughs> but that was because that was I broke it. Um, so I had to actually remove a piece of bone that um, no, no amount of physical therapy would have fixed that. But that was like a much lesser surgery than a, a labral repair.
0: Well, so how did the journey to college go for you? Because it sounds like Stanford was pretty heavily recruiting you, but that's not where you ended up. Yeah.
1: So um, I knew that I wanted to stay in California. Um, you know, I grew up in the Bay Area And I'm such a California girl. Like I, (laughs) I love the weather here. My family's close, even though at that point I was like, I want to go as far away from my family as possible. (laughs) Like, like most teenagers. (laughs) Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, and the funny thing is, is I ended up choosing the school that was closest to them, (laughs) Um, but I, but I made sure it felt far. Of course. (laughs) Um, Um, so I, the three schools that I kind of, pictured myself going to were UCLA, Cal and Stanford. And my parents really, really wanted me to go to Stanford just because, you know, they kind of saw like the dollars of like, oh, if you have a full scholarship and you're going to this private school, you're getting the most bang for your buck. (laughs) And and just like the prestigiousness of, of Stanford really rang for them. And I thought I was going to go to UCLA. Like that was kind of from sophomore year on where I like just imagined myself going. I was like, oh, LA is so nice. UCLA is a great academic school. They have um, great athletics. And that's just kind of where I saw myself going. And um, after my recruiting trips, I met all the coaches and spent some time with each of the teams. And I just felt most at home at, at Cal, at Berkeley with Terry McKeever, the coach, and with the academics, that's really rigorous academics. Um, And the team just felt the most, I, I just felt like they were my family. Whereas at UCLA, I felt like I didn't fit in. I surprisingly really liked the Stanford team, Cause I didn't think I would like them for some reason, you know, it, <laughs> like you just get these ideas in your head, make no, no sense, as a teenager. So but I was like, sure that I wasn't going to fit in there. <laughs> and, um, I, I really fit in well, but that coach Richard quick, who I had admired so much and as a national team head coach is really great. Cause he's super motivating and he's just like over the top. I realized on a day-to-day basis, I don't think I would have meshed well with him.
0: <laughs> Just like personality um, wise. Yeah,
1: he's a lot. Uh, and I mean, um, he's since passed away and he's like one of the most like revered coaches. Of like course. he's a genius, <laughs> but you know, I, I knew myself <laughs> yeah. very well and he's a big personality and I don't think I could have taken that, um, six days a week. Uh, Fifty weeks out of the year.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, your choice seemed to pan out pretty well. I think in your what in your entire NCAA career, you won every single race except one. You got second, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think so. And I want to talk about that because, and my husband always brings this up because, you know, my husband was a swim coach for a long time and he was a swimmer. And he's always like, she had the best line because there was something about you got interviewed or something after you got second in this race. And they bring up, like, well, how did it feel to lose or something like that? And you made some kind of great rhetoric. because you're like, well, now you're paying attention. Because it was like they got <laughs> so used to you winning and doing amazing that it just wasn't even news to them anymore, you know, until you got, woo, second place. <laughs> We're like, oh my goodness, she's the most dominant swimmer ever on the planet right now.
1: <laughs> to be honest, I hated the tuner back and I was like glad I lost because it got me out of doing tuner back ever again. <laughs> and, and that was one of those things where like I, I still kind of blame that on Terry. Like, she made me do the tuner back at, at that uh, NC2A's when I should have been doing the 100 free at that point. But uh, yeah, she was like, no, you'll win every event. All four years in a row. No one's ever done that. Like, it's like, but at that point in my career, I should have been doing the 100 free. And and that same night, I ended up leading off the 4x100 freestyle relay in American record time, you know, <laughs> I, I, like I, <laughs> a time that would have won that event. And I was just like, see, this is why I shouldn't do the <laughs> 200 back at uh, Olympic trials. And so <laughs> I was like, really kind of happy about it because honestly, the tuner back is one of the most painful events. And by that stage of my career, I was transitioning much more into sprint. And so that, that was just kind of the proof that I needed of like, <laughs> Hey, see, I don't need to do this dumb event. Like I was just, I hated it so much.
0: <laughs> okay. This is funny. I had no idea this side was going going on. That's so funny. But I mean, I, has anybody else even done that? You won what, like 11 of 12 12- Titles like that.
1: um not not in that format. So Tracy Calkins, um of uh, late seventies, maybe early eighties. Um, I, I should Google when she was. I think the eighties. Um, so she had won. I think more, but at that time they didn't. They didn't limit your events. I mean, and th- and I'm saying this without any arrogance. It's just I was very very dominant in college. I could have won more events. I was just limited to do three individual events. Gotcha. Um, like at one point, yeah, thanks. At one point I had the American record and the 50, 200 free, 100, 200 fly, 100, 200 back. And so I would mix it up quite a bit throughout the, the season. Um, I wouldn't do 100 back at every meet. Um, I, would, I did 200 fly actually quite a bit and 200 free and like events that I never did at NC2A's.
0: Man. Uh, and so, well, during this kind of run up, like where, where did 2004 lay within your college seasons? Was it like during your junior year or was it? No, it was perfect.
1: It was that senior year. So that senior year where I lost the turner back was like, two or three months before Olympic trials. And I was like, see, that's the proof you need that you I'm not doing the 200 back at trials. <laughs> like,
0: and no amount of like, no
1: one's going to talk me into it now.
0: <laughs> well, so you had to be feeling pretty good going into 04. And this was your real opportunity. And I mean, you were getting summer of the year, you'd already won a bunch of not just national, but I think you'd won some world titles by then too, hadn't you?
1: Yep. So 2000, uh, let me think, 2001, I won my first uh, world championships title uh, in the 100 back.
0: And then you like dominated college, you're you're going into Athens. I, I mean, how did you feel about that? Like, were you excited? Did there feel like there was pressure? Like, it's finally here? Like, what were your thoughts going into that first Olympic Games?
1: It was all of the above. So, you know, going into the 2004 Olympic trials, I knew that I was capable of making that Olympic team. And I knew that 95% I was going to make that Olympic team. Like I would have to really mess up to not make that Olympic team. Um, I was, I, I set myself up perfectly and looking at the, the schedule. So the eight days of swimming, um, and where prelims and semifinals and finals lie, as well as the relays, because I, I knew that if I made that Olympic team, I would be on all three relays because I had, um, the Hunter Free, uh, I was, you know, the best in, in or, or one of the best uh, in the country in that. And the Tuner Free, I was one of the best, if not the best in the country in that. And then um, either hundred Back or Hunter Free. So I, I knew I'd be on all three relays. So I kind of had to figure out where those were in the schedule and then choose my events based on that. And so based on the schedule as a whole, I decided to focus only on the Hunter Free and Hunter Back. Um, and it's kind of a tough decision because I was the American, I think I was the American record holder at the time. Maybe, maybe not. Um, I, I was very good in the Hunter Butterfly. Um, it At the previous Pan Packs, I had won it. I had the top time in the world. Um, so I had to give up the 100 fly to focus on the 100 back and the 400 free relay. And I gave up the 200 free to focus, um, on also the 100 back. Like all of my events kind of were front loaded in those first few days. So I had to make these decisions, so anyway, I decided to focus on hunter back, hunter free. And it was really just about executing it. Um, going into that meet, I did not care what my time was. I just knew that I had to get first or second. And I did exactly what I needed to do. I won the hunter back. I got second in the hunter free and then moved on. Uh, with with my coach, we had such confidence in that Olympic trials that we didn't even fully taper. We knew it was just like a step along the way. Um, and but all that being said, there was so much pressure, and I remember. Winning that hundred backstroke and just feeling that like wave of relief of like oh I didn't like completely fall on my face that I didn't <laughs> you know I I, I I achieved what I was capable of and I am now one step closer to that Olympic medal.
0: Yeah, that's the uh, that is such a good feel. It's like that relief, right? There is a bit of relief there.
1: Yeah, Olympic trials, and I'm sure you could attest to this. It's just such a weird. It's such a weird meet, like, especially if you're someone who has a lot of pressure on you, you you don't really feel too much joy. Honestly, you just feel relief. You're like, all right, moving on. Cause you don't want to have your best performance at Olympic trials. You want to save that for the Olympic games, but you need to get to the Olympic games.
0: Right, exactly. There's almost more pressure at trials than trying to win an Olympic gold because you have to get there to get the Olympic gold.
1: (laughs) Wait, like, and this is something that people who who haven't gone through it don't understand. There is like exponentially more pressure at Olympic trials than at the Olympics, like exponentially. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) So, so you've made it, you have that relief. Uh, You've got to be feeling good going into Athens. Like, did you know it was going to turn out as well as it turned out?
1: it's funny. Like I, I, I kind of did. Um, I, again, it's that, that sense of relief. Um, I knew that I was capable of winning gold. I had the world record at that point. I was fairly dominant in the hundred back and, um, I knew all I had to do was execute and, I didn't have a great race. I didn't even have a great time. I was like eight tenths off of my best time, but um, that was still good enough for the gold, which is amazing. Um, and I, I kept a, a diary during uh, 04 and I've looked back at it somewhat recently, like within the last couple of years. And it's interesting to see my mentality
0: Share it with us.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't have it in front. Honestly, I don't
0: even know. I mean, just share what you remember about this next yeah. mindset. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So like once I got that gold in the hundred back, like everything else felt like icing on the cake. Like it just felt like so much easier after I got that gold. And you know this. Like that Olympic gold kind of you just enter this other like stratosphere of athletics where like you will forever be an Olympic gold medalist. No one could ever take that away. And so once you achieve that, it just feels like everything else is just amazing, you know? And so there was so much pressure off of me that I was really, really confident going into my races. Um, like for instance, the, The four by 200 freestyle relay, um, I let off, uh, meaning I, I went, I was the first leg of that relay. And I, the way that I swum the 200 free throughout my career was I took it out really slowly, like really, really slowly, because I had the confidence to do so. I would go pretty easy that first hundred. I would build, um, the, the fifth 25. And then that last 75 meters, I would just hammer it home and just mow people down. <laughs> um, it was so fun to swim that way.
0: <laughs> I, I love the way you say it. I just mow people down. <laughs>
1: it was so fun to swim that way. And I remember like telling my teammates, um, in that race, like, Hey, just so you know, you probably aren't used to me swimming this race that much. Cause I, I didn't. I didn't swim it that much. Um, just know I'm not going to be out first. <laughs> and even though, yes, I'm a sprinter, I'm not going to be out first. And, um, I was, I think seventh at the 50, eighth at the hundred. Um, and then by the time I finished that race or my leg of the race, I, uh, was significantly in the lead and, and in a time that would have won gold um, in that 200 free individual event. So just having that confidence going into that race w- was everything. Um, the ability to stay super calm in an Olympic race when you're surrounded by the best of the best, that that confidence came from you know, getting that gold already in the 100, 100 back. And that, that race was pretty amazing. We ended up winning, uh, gold in that by a pretty significant margin. We broke the world record. It was the last East German world record. Oh, wow. uh, On the books. So it was of that like steroid area, era of, um, 1978. Like we were really, really proud, uh, that we were able to erase that part of our swimming history. Yeah. Our collective history. Like we finally broke the last standing world record.
0: That is so cool, I mean, you walked away from that Olympics, your first Olympics with five medals, right?
1: Yep, yep, two gold, two silver, and a bronze and that, that bronze was in the hundred free. another event that I was super common in. and i remember, and that specifically um looking at my diary. I was just like, I just want to get a medal. So I'm just going (laughs) to stay with Inga de Brown, who was the hands down favorite to win that event. I'm just going to stay with her and then try, try and get my hand on the wall. Like it was so naive and stupid, (laughs) but sometimes that night naivete is uh,
0: really important.
1: And I did, I got, I ended up getting bronze in that.
0: (laughs) I know. Hey, don't knock it if it works. (laughs)
1: Exactly. I mean, yeah. Being young and stupid is is really a powerful thing. Sometimes
0: that (laughs) It's a gift. I know. Well, so in doing that, you became just the third woman to win five medals in a single Olympics at that time. Like, that's so crazy. You kind of burst onto the scene. You became a a very popular name. People knew who you were. Like, what was that after Olympics stuff like? You know, and then you're done with college at that point, too. So this is like a whole new world happening after Athens.
1: Yeah, it was pretty crazy because like before that Olympics, I was, you know, dubbed one of the faces of like NBC. So like, you know, they put me on a lot of stuff and then I had great sponsors. So I was out there um, with various sponsorships. And did know, that, did that all just happen that summer? It happened. Yeah. It, like, so people were kind of waiting and waiting and waiting until March of two or 2004 which is when our nc2as were and then immediately i signed with an agent and immediately we had things like kind of lined up um and that's a lot of the at least at that time a lot of those companies kind of weighed in the wings like knowing like oh katie ledecky is going to go pro on this date so we'll we'll try and get this deal for her then or you know like it's just kind of how it that worked um and so yeah I had a lot of things lined up and after that Olympics more than after Beijing or London um I was recognized like everywhere and I think a lot of that has to do with the the media was different then you know like we didn't have social media in in 2004 Facebook I think wasn't in Invented yet or maybe maybe it was 2000. Yeah. Maybe it just was like at Stanford, <laughs> um, but, uh, in Harvard, uh, but yeah, there was no social media. Um, there weren't all these different outlets where you watch, um, you know, the, what the Olympic channel didn't exist. So it was very like focused, um, media attention. So I remember, being in the middle of Manhattan and people stopping me on the streets and like being on a train in the middle of nowhere and people stopping me and being recognized and Part of that was really cool, but also, you know, I was only I just I turned twenty two at that Olympic Games. So it was a lot, you know, like it was great, but it also was super overwhelming at the same time. Um and that's that's why like with my career I was always grateful that Michael Phelps existed because he took a lot of the uh pressure and um
0: attention off of what I was doing. <laughs> well see, that's interesting because I was gonna ask you that. I mean, because he he did some stuff in two thousand four, but he He was really the name, obviously, going into 2008, trying to win eight medals and then doing that in Beijing, which was, you know, obviously amazing. But I didn't know how you felt with that. Like if that if you felt overshadowed or if, like you said, did that free you up from pressure? Like what what was that like for you?
1: Yeah, well, it, I mean, it definitely overshadowed me. Like that's that's objectively true. Yeah. <laughs> and um yeah, like part of me, like my my bank account is like, "Oh, I wish maybe I got more attention." Um but at the same time, I I didn't really like that attention that that much. So, yes, he definitely overshadowed me in some ways, but well deservedly and I didn't want I didn't want all that pressure on me. Um, it, it's that catch twenty two, you know. Um, if you want all that attention, you have to take all that pressure. And I felt like I had kind of the happy medium of it. Um, so at the like fast forward to the two thousand eight Olympic Games, I won six medals there,
0: mm-hmm. um, which had uh, never, yeah. It's, it, things still no females done that have they? Yep,
1: yep. Not, no American female has done that. It's awesome, um, and I don't think anyone talked about it until I was on metal five. Um, They were so focused on what Michael was doing and um, what a few other summers were doing. Like Katie Hoff um, was had this amazing Olympic trials and she was in a ton of different events uh, at, at that Olympic games. And so they kind of took a lot of the media focus off of me. And so I was able to, you know, really just focus on my events and, you know, check one box after another, and by the time I got, yeah, it was like my fourth or fifth medal. People are like, "Oh my god!" Like, if you get the sixth medal, which w- it was a relay, and we should have been, you know, we should have gotten a medal in, in in one color or another in that <laughs> right. relay. They're like, "You're going to be the first uh, to to win six medals." Um, so, you know, honestly, it was great for me because I didn't think of hitting that milestone or achievement until someone else pointed it out to me. And I was like, oh, that, yeah, that would be cool to be the first. But I didn't even realize I would be the first.
0: I first started using Katsu after I discovered it could be used for recovery. After speaking with a Navy SEAL friend that had used Katsu to help him recover from traumatic injuries, I decided to give it a try for an ongoing tricep issue I had. Within the first week, I noticed the cramping I had in my tricep would completely stop after a katsu session. It also helped me recover much faster after platform workouts. After seeing such great recovery, I started to add katsu into some strength training and plyometric workouts as well. And the craziest side effect that I noticed was that I was hardly ever sore from a hard workout that I did while wearing the katsu bands. I feel like katsu has given me the ability to get stronger while recovering faster. Katsu is the pioneer and gold standard of the emerging blood flow restriction market. Navy SEALs, world champions, and gold medalists use katsu daily for improved performance, quicker rehabilitation, and unprecedented recovery from hard workouts, intense competitions, and even jet lag. Katsu was invented in Japan and has been used at every Winter and Summer Olympics since 1988. Katsu Global offers a variety of easy-to-use products that can be used safely and effectively in the comfort of your home, office, or during travel. It can be used for any workout or between training and competitions for recovery. To learn more about Katsu and even get 10% off, go to laurawilkinson.com Katsu. That's laurawilkinson.com slash Katsu. K-A-A-T-S-U. Well, almost a bigger deal. And I remember talking to you in Beijing about that was when you won the back-to-back 100-meter back. like That was the first time somebody had done that in the same event in consecutive Olympics was winning back-to-back golds in that event, right?
1: Correct. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was the first and again, only of the, of the 100 back to win back-to-back. And yeah, that was such an achievement because like I had broken the world record several times that year. Um, and up it, it the hundred back was so crazy. So from 2002 to 2008, I was the only person to ever have gone under a minute, um, in the hundred back.
0: You have all these things. I just have to bust out and say that you have all these things. You're like, you're the only person who's ever done it. That's just so amazing (laughs) to me. It's awesome.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And so from, yeah, like 2002 to the spring of 08, I was the only person to ever go under a minute or no, sorry. The spring of 2007. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 2002 to 2007. I was the only person to ever go under a minute. And then at the world championships in 2007, uh, Laura, um, Manadou, Laura, Laura Manadou of, of France went under a minute. And after that, like all of a sudden, so many people started going under a minute. It was like, <laughs> Oh, someone else could do it. Oh, I could do it too. And then all of a sudden, all these people were going under a minute. And then in the spring of 2008, I ended up Breaking my world world record, and I had broken it a couple times um, leading up to that Olympic Games. But you know, it went from no one could go under a minute to there was like a dozen people under a minute all of a sudden. Wow! Um, so at that Olympics in 2008, I. Was still the favorite, um, uh, because I was a world record holder, but, um, there are all these people nipping at my heels. And, um, in the semifinal, the girl who actually beat me and turned her back, um, at NC Tuesdays, she broke the world record in the semifinals. Um, my Hunter back, she was the second, uh, semifinal heat. So I watched it in, uh, the media what is it called? The hot zone or whatever. Um, so I was like in the middle of my interviews and I, you know, saw that she broke my world record. And I was like, Oh, this is going to be amazing tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, it's on. And, um, yeah, so it was a great race between the two of us. Um, but I, you know, I knew I could execute. Like I knew I had it in me to win that race. And I, you know, I, I did, I didn't break my, I did break her world record, uh, in the final, but I got my hand on the wall first and and won gold, which is honestly a lot harder than breaking uh, a world record. Um, those head to head competitions are such mind games. Isn't, isn't the the right word. Um, but like, like mental gymnastics with yourself, Mm. you know?
0: So what do you do to like work with that mental gymnastics? Like what did, what kind of headspace do you have to get in to handle that?
1: Yeah. So, for everyone's different. So, I didn't do well like focusing on other people like next to me. That kind of like took me out
0: of myself. Mm -hmm. Unless it's two thousand four and you're going to mow her down, right?
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like that was just like fun. <laughs> that, that was kind of different. That, yeah. That was that was like oh, watch this. Now this is when I go. But, um, yeah. That was like that was a little different. But um, fair. Yeah. My, so my mentality going into a race like that was just picturing it, like like visualizing it um, perfectly. Um, so I, I visualized that race over and over and over again that day and the the night before. And I would just choose a couple things to really, really focus on. So at the time, I think it was my start, my underwaters, my transition from underwater to the actual swimming stroke, the turn, And then as things got, um, as I got tired and the lactic acid was building up, my focus was to just keep my head back and drive, drive my arms as best as I could. Um, so I just kind of had a race plan and just focused on that and that alone. Um, and I knew if I, if I did those things that I would win. And it's one of those things like I, Touched first, looked at my time, and I was like, Oh my God, I actually did it. Like again, <laughs> that sense of overwhelming relief. And I had never cried after my, after a race, um, my entire career, except for that one. And I cried like so much. Um, and, and actually the most of the crying was on the, <laughs> the metal stand because one of my teammates got third. Um, and so it was her first medal. And I remember being on the top podium, seeing the two American flags being raised. And I looked at her and she was crying. I was like, oh, that's sweet. And and I remember like thinking like, oh, I I don't, I'm not, A real emotional person. I wonder what that must be like to cry, (laughs) like out of like happiness, and and then all of a sudden I started crying, and then I started crying because I was crying. I was just like this sobby, like sobby, like mess.
0: (laughs) You like opened the floodgates and you couldn't close them.
1: (laughs) I did. I like opened this thing that was inside of me that I had no idea
0: existed. (laughs) That's so cute because people always ask like, what goes through your head when you're like listening to the anthem? Well, you guys, this is what was going on in Natalie's head during. (laughs) During that that national anthem. I was like, oh, that that must be be what it's like to have emotion.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, oh, weird. That's so, so sweet. And then all of a sudden I was just like this like giant baby.
0: You are so funny. Well, I I have like a million questions and I know I'm not going to get to all of them, but, um, I want to make sure I'm picking and choosing, um, really, really important ones. So I know the journey toward Beijing was totally different than the journey towards Athens because there wasn't school. You were more of a professional and then you decided to keep going through 2012. Like what were kind of the differences between each of those Olympics, like heading into them?
1: So it's, it's kind of hard to delineate the difference of Beijing and London because it all just kind of blends together to me because I was, you know, still training at Cal kind of with the college team, but kind of on my own, um, there was, there was a small post-grad group, but it wasn't, it was tough because the college team would go to either dual meets or pack. Doing. It was pack tens at the time, but now it's pack twelves, pack twelves or A's. And, you know, I'd be left alone or with a couple other people at, at, um, at our home pool training ourselves. And so there's a lot of training yourself. Um, and that, that's tough, you know, it's really, really tough. And going into the 2012, uh, Olympic trials was, you know, I wasn't on, um, I wasn't on the top of my game and I still like, don't really know why, um, 2011, I had a great world championships and 2012, I, I failed to make the Olympic team and the hundred back. And people were like, Oh my God, you know, um, uh, waiting for me to freak out or something. And <laughs> I was like, it's just swimming guys. I already <laughs> have two gold medals. Like it's I'm fine. <laughs> and, um, I ended up making it in the four by 100 free relay. And I went to the London games, got a bronze medal in, um, in that relay and I was done by the first day. Um, so it was a weird experience because I was proud of getting that 12th medal. Um, you know, I tied Jenny Thompson and Derek Torres for 12 medals. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So like that was amazing. Um, you know, Carrie was the Olympic coach, um, at that one. And so she was like, be ready for the medley relay at the end of the meet. But like, I had no business being on the medley relay. So I wasn't really sure if I was done or not the way that some of like, some people like in the media treated me as like, Oh, well, obviously you're going to retire now and have babies. Um, <laughs> like and that, like They were so open and frank about that. And I found. Isn't it funny how they tell you what you're going to (laughs) do? It's one, it's so misogynistic, and two, none of their business. Like, it is so inappropriate (laughs) for people to tell women, you know, that they need to like retire and have babies. Like, some women don't want it. Some people have a hard time getting pregnant. There's like so many reasons to not. And I know you know this. Like, there's so many reasons to not tell people to go <laughs> <have> out <good meals. laughs> babies. Uh, uh, so it was just, it was a kind of amazing the way I was treated. It's like, oh, well, you're 29 and you're married. And obviously, this is what your life is going to be going forward. So it was just this like weird experience. But yet, I got to enjoy that Olympics. Um, I got to watch the, the races and really enjoy it as an Olympic fan. So that's cool. I had this, like, Really weird experience of like, man, this is kind of depressing how I didn't swim the way I wanted to swim and people are treating me in a way that I've never acted personally, you know, like they kind of expected me to freak out or do this or do that. And I've never operated that way. I've never been that person. So it was just weird. It was really a weird experience.
0: <laughs> well, it's funny because I, I have to say you have always had such a just good head on your shoulders and you don't seem to get rattled easily. You always have these like wicked wise responses to things. And I, I mean, <laughs> is this just how like you were wired or you did your parents raise you really well? Or like, what do you attribute that to? Because I love that you're just like, why are you telling me that? Like, that's not, you know, or it's just swimming. Like, I don't care that I didn't make it in that, you know, I mean, that to me is, is, an amazing attitude being like a, a two-time Olympic gold medalist and then not making it in that event. And you're just like, it's just swimming like that. That just floors me in, in a great way. And I just don't know how, how are you like that? <laughs> Honestly, I think the best thing that ever happened to me in my entire career was tearing
1: my labrum <laughs> back in, in high school, uh, because that gave me such perspective um, up until that moment. Um, I was so focused on swimming. Like it was my entire life and my entire being. And in one practice, I had this pretty devastating injury and I realized it could be taken away from me at any moment. And so I learned that like, I could get in a car accident. I could do something that is completely out of my control and this could all be taken away from me. And so I kind of decided to like really focus on my academics as well as my athletics to try as much as I could to have some sort of social life outside of swimming while still mm-hmm. achieving my goals. So, you know, I think if you asked um, a lot of my college teammates, they would still say I didn't have any sort of social <laughs> life, <laughs> but I, I had more than I would have, uh, had I not <laughs> experienced this. <laughs> right. Um, So I I think that just put things into perspective for me that like, Hey, this isn't life or death. It's just, it's just swimming. It's just going up and down a pool. That's like arbitrarily decided the length. Like it's, it's really kind of silly, but it obviously means a lot to me and other people. Yeah. It just kind of put things into perspective for me. And, and yeah, like I did have and do have great parents that taught me the value of hard work and, and all those things. But I think having that injury and, and seeing like, oh, this can quickly be taken away. So don't take it for granted. Enjoy it. But it's just going up and down a swimming pool. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. I love it. That's such a profound perspective. Uh, I, I just don't feel like a lot of high-level athletes have that. And I just think it's something people really need to um, understand when they're younger so that they don't get caught up and your whole identity isn't just wrapped up in that thing that can get taken away from you in a second, like you said. Exactly. Yeah. Well, what in your mind, out of all these amazing accomplishments that you've had, what is the most special moment that when you look back and think about it, what really stands out to you in your career?
1: Definitely that hunter back from Beijing. Like that one is the one that I remember the most. I remember the race the most. I remember the thoughts that went through my head immediately afterward. I remember that medal ceremony. I don't remember really any of the medal ceremonies, but that one I I really remember. And yeah, that, that sticks out for me the most. And then, um, like what I'm most proud of is just kind of my consistency throughout the years. Um, the ability to, you know, be in medal contention for 12 different events over three Olympic games. Um, like that's something that no one's done. Um, you know, even, you know, Dara and Jenny—they didn't do it in three three Olympics. Um, i I'm, I'm really I'm really proud of that, and did. My Olympic career end the way I wanted it to. No, but we don't all get a storybook ending, <laughs> right? Like, right. It's life. It's not. You know, it's not. Uh, it's, it's not fiction. So it, it's the way
0: it needed to end. <laughs> well, but I love that you you did keep swimming on for a year, and you got your twentieth world um world championship gold or world championship medal, I guess, with a gold uh, in 2013, which is a pr- that's a pretty sweet ending, though. Even though it wasn't at the Olympics, like that's still pretty cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. and I, ended- it the way like exactly like I continued to swim another four years, loved every second of it. Like I and I I think having that like 2012 that didn't quite go how I wanted it to, it forced me to see how swimming fit into my life, and I was like, I don't want it to end this way. So I continued another quad. Um, and I you know tried to make the 16 Olympic team. I I didn't, um, but I had some really great races, some, you know, PRs throughout that 4-year period. I had so much fun swimming, like more fun than I had ever had in my entire career. So, I'm so grateful that I decided to continue another 4 years because I ended the way that I wanted to. I knew definitively after the 16 trials that I was done, like I love swimming and I love training so much, but honestly, I don't I don't feel the need to compete ever again. Like that was kind of my mentality. And so, yeah, I like ended on my own terms and I was really, uh, really happy about it.
0: That's so cool. Well, when you look back kind of on the flip side, what do you think was the toughest moment in this career?
1: Oh, oh God. <laughs> I, had <a> <laughs> I had a lot of tough moments. Um, that injury was definitely... The most persistently tough while having a coach that wasn't supportive. And we had this like awful, toxic relationship. So that was a year and a half of just pure misery, honestly, on like every different level. So that was really, really tough. That 2012 Olympic experience was very weird. And it, it was just, it was just weird. Uh, <laughs> you know, like just the way I was treated, it was just very weird. Like people would like avoid you at, you know, meetings or like go, like they would, you could clearly see people walking toward you. And then when you're walking toward them, they go the other direction. You're like, all right. Did, did
0: they, were they just afraid that you felt bad or something? Or did they yes. not know what to say? <laughs>
1: Yes, it's and and it's a hundred percent. Um, yes, and and I got it. I understood it at the moment, but I was just like, man, how did I ever act that deserved this? I never carried myself in a way that was deserving of this. But people don't know what don't don't know what to say, though. So they just like try to avoid the conversation, um, and I get that. But it's just like, man, really? Okay, whatever. So I've always made sure when people <laughs> when my teammates have had disappointing races or whatever to not hide from them and not hide from the conversation just to be there for them. Like it was, it was a learning experience for me too. Like, okay, I don't ever want to be treated this way. I'm never going to treat someone this way. Um, Even if they have the worst race of their life on the biggest stage, I am not going to hide from them.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I hate that you had to learn that lesson, but at the same time, I'm glad you learned that lesson because it's one that I think, we yeah, we need to change for sure. I agree because people just don't know how to act. And it's like, that's a problem with, we don't know how to communicate with people and we need to be okay. Like talking to people, (laughs) you know, we're, we're all humans. We need to be able to communicate better. I think.
1: Right. And I think it says a lot more about them than, than the person. So I think it says like a lot more like, oh, I wouldn't want this or that or, or, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's, that's true. It's, I think it's really telling of us as maybe a culture of sometimes yeah. like we expect people to have like a hissy fit over or, or like, just have this like giant
0: pity party. And that's true. And that's, that's sad. That's really yeah, sad. Yeah, that's
1: like never been me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I mean, because it's just swimming, guys. <laughs> exactly. It's just swimming. <laughs> I love it. Well, you are doing all kinds of other amazing things now. You're a mom, you've written a cookbook, you have a winery. Like, tell us about all these amazing things that you are doing now.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah. So I did eventually have children <laughs> on my own terms. Um, so as, I, as you should <laughs> exactly on your own terms. Um, so I have a one and a three year old, uh, boy and a girl, and they keep me very, very busy. Yeah. I, I wrote a cookbook after I, I wrote a cookbook that was published, I think in 2018 it was published. Um, or maybe it was 2019. I can't remember. Um,
0: to- toddlers have a way of erasing your memory so that's okay. They
1: did. I know. Like I had I and then the pandemic like has really done an upper on
0: that. Yes, the last like 3 <laughs> years blend into one for me.
1: <laughs> yeah, um I know I was pregnant when I took the photos for the, for the book. Um, but I was still like early on and not telling anybody so So yeah, I think it was published in 2019, but it's a long process. It was like a baby in in and of itself. Like it took like a year of writing, a year of editing, and then like another year of waiting. But anyway, so I wrote the cookbook in 2017. I also started a winery, Gadarian Wines, with um, a longtime friend and who's also the winemaker. So we're a w- woman-owned winery in uh, Napa Valley, uh, and we've been really successful. We're you know still small, but we specialize in Chenin Blanc and Pinot Noir. Um, but we also have you know Chardonnay, Rosé, Pinot Noir, Cabernet Sauvignon, and uh, a few other things like some blends. And that's been so fun. Nothing I ever thought I would do, but uh, it's a lot of hard work and. I've learned so much about business throughout the process about wine making the science of wine making, how to market to people. Like I'm still trying to figure that out, which is, you know, mostly on social. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so if you follow me on, you know, Natalie Coglin on any of the platforms, um, also follow me at Gaderian wines, cause I'm the one that does the Instagram for Gaderian wines as well. But, uh, Yeah, it's been fun. It is challenging juggling so many different things. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm also on the board of USA Swimming and have been since 2016. So that's really rewarding to give back to the sport that's given me so much. And it also selfishly, it keeps me in touch with a lot of people that I otherwise would have lost touch with by now, most likely. So it's been really fun. but But... Kind of touching on what I started to say it was it's it's challenging because so many things aren't really related uh my Board work it has nothing to do with my wine
0: uh, work, which has nothing to do with my children. So yeah. it's like you know, yeah. in a lot of different hats. Well, I don't know. We tend to drink wine sometimes when we have little kids, so kind of related.
1: I know. I know. I know. When my when my daughter's like, "Were you doing wine today?" I'm like, "Oh
0: God!" You're like, "It was for work, honey. It was for work."
1: I know. I was like, "When you tell your teachers this, make you tell them that I make wine. I like,
0: don't just drink wine." <laughs>
1: Make sure you clarify.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to know a couple things. Like, what all? What kind of food is in your cookbook? Like, is it is it a certain kind of food, or like clean eating, or like what's or just yummy stuff, or what? What exactly does it center around?
1: Yeah, so it centers around kind of the way that I eat, and so I eat very healthy, but I don't I don't deprive myself. So, like, I allow myself to have butter, and I eat chicken with the skin on it, and and like I. I, I believe in whole foods and I believe in balance. And so that, that's like interesting because when I was pitching this book and like selling it to the publishers, like the way that you do a book proposal, um, whether it's a novel or a cookbook, is you have a sample, you know, you kind of have like a sample introduction, some recipes, and kind of like the overall idea. And people really wanted to peg me into like, just clean, just healthy, this like boring Spartan, like, oh, this is what athletes eat. Um, and that's not how I've ever eaten. And if I ate that way, I would go crazy. (laughs) I need, I need to have a glass of wine. I need to have my chocolate and butter and like all those things. Um, so I have a bunch of family recipes in there. So a lot of Filipino recipes, um, Believe it or not, even though I'm light-skinned and blue eyes, my mom's side of the family is uh, Filipino. And so that's the food that I ate growing up. So I have recipes from my mom, grandma, and great-grandma in there and like my spin on uh, on some of them. Um, so that's great. And my grandma actually was really helpful throughout the, um, the writing process of this, of Actually, writing down some of her recipes, which I had <laughs> tried to for years to get her to write it down, but this forced her to do so. <laughs> um, so that was great. Um, and then recipes from my travels. Um, you know, I, I traveled all over the world because of something. Um, some of my best, my favorite places to visit were also the best places to eat. Um, so uh, I have a recipe in there of poisson crew uh, from one of the last competitions I went to in French Polynesia. Like that's where you would get that at every single place um, you stop. They would give you like a bowl of poisson crew. And oh, wow. It's, bas- it's basically like ceviche, but like Polynesian ceviche. So like recipes for my travels and then just recipes that I would make uh, throughout training. Um, so there are a lot of healthy recipes in there, but there's also some really indulgent ones like bolognese. Um, so it's a little bit of everything.
0: That's cool. Well, where can we pick up a copy of your cookbook? And it's called, it's called Cook to Thrive, correct? Cook to Thrive.
1: It's on all the things that you get, um, books from that. Like, so like, I can't say like, get it on Amazon because then I'm like, not, uh, acknowledging other book retailers, yes. So any, anywhere my... you can buy it, it's, it's a,
0: it should be available.
1: Yeah. yeah, my publisher, Clarkson Potter, made it very clear. Like, hey, tell it, tell them, like you can get it in all these places. But yes, it's on, on all the
0: places. It's readily available. How about that? Okay. Yes. Yes. And how about uh, how about your wines? gadarian wines right
1: yeah gadarian wines so gadarian um, wines uh is just gadarian wines.com and gadarian wines on all the social so i do the instagram and i do twitter but I, i'm not very good at twitter and we have facebook as well uh we ship to most states uh you know utah is still that one that we are having really tough time <laughs> getting to but uh everyone does um but yeah, we ship to most states uh, and you could always come visit us. If you're in Napa Valley, just reach out to me or my partner, Shayna Harding, and we can set you up with a tasting and... Gadarian just for background means to gather or bring together. And so it's old English for gather. And that's what we pictured when we started this this wine was you gather around a table with friends and family and you share a great experience. And so that's the meaning of the name.
0: It's absolutely perfect. Natalie, thank you so much for for coming on, for inspiring us, for showing us how to be truly amazing and keep our head on straight in the process. uh, Because after all, it's just sports, right? It's not life. So (laughs) I love it. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thanks so much, Laura.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests, and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.